That's the oxygen this entire industry breathes, and it's completely sacred. We have to do all, everything by a fan-first experience. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University sports podcast, where my partner, Joe Fabrito and I talk about the business of sports with all different kinds of folks from the industry. And uh, we try to do that as regularly as we can, typically weekly. It's been a little trickier these last couple months because of the lockdown. But here we are, Joe, for another show. You ready to go? Yep. And, and we just want to, so, so we don't seem like we're tone deaf, Tom. We're taping this uh, towards the end of August. There's obviously a lot of things going on in sports, bubble, not bubble. NFL hasn't been back yet, but we're not going to really address those because we don't know when you're listening to it and we certainly don't want to sound outdated. So we want to be neither outdated nor obtuse. So we're not going to really ignore right. the whole thing. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about a couple of interesting topics that one of which we haven't really talked about uh, in earnest. I don't think ever, Joe, in the podcast, and that's about women in sports technology and the group Women in Sports Tech, W-I-S-T. And we're going to talk about what this the founder of this company calls the new age of sponsorship measurement. Very dramatic statement. This has been a big issue as Joe and I uh, have learned uh, on the academic side. We now have lots of business analytics courses, business intelligence courses, et cetera. This has been a really interesting development in the last few years. It's a competitive space. And there's a player out there, a really interesting company out of uh, the DC area called Zoomf, which was co-founded by our guest today, Amir Zanozi. Amir, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here with you, gentlemen. Yeah. So the big question is, Joe, where do we start? Because we want to uh, we want to get into all these topics. Um, well, there's definitely a story about George Mason basketball that we want to hear. Yes. Because we're <laughs> both Mason and, and Georgetown. Right. Um, yeah. So, so if, there's, if there's an arcane basketball reference to be found in a podcast, Joe will find it like no it. other. And he already found that even in warm up to recording the show. Yeah. So, so yeah, so Amir, let's just quickly get to know you a little bit. Talk a little bit about your background. I know it does start at George Mason uh, and continue through Georgetown into the software business uh, and, so, and social media business and the founding of Zoom. So give us a couple of minutes on uh, where this all started. Yeah, I'll make it uh, I'll make it quick and as painless as possible. But, uh, you know, background is grew up, uh, you know, everyone's watching The Last Dance. That's when I was growing up. That was some of the best times of my life. You know, I was watching WGN uh, on, on television with my family, just the Bulls. Uh, you know, my dad was a doctor. He taught at Georgetown Medicine School and, and I would play on the courts there. You know, met uh, Matumbo's nephews, met Allen Iverson, John Thompson back in the day. And I was just hooked with basketball. I loved it. Uh, and so the George Mason reference, you know, when undergrad, uh, you know, during, what was it, was it 2007? Uh, you know, they were, you know, in the final four. Uh, we lived in a house that was uh, quite a party house. Names will not be mentioned. But, uh, you know, I come back from a night partying at, outside watching the game, uh, come back late and come to find that there's cars parked all the way down the street and music blaring. Uh, we had a house of seven guys that were living in it, so you can imagine and the entire Georgetown, I'm sorry, the entire George Mason basketball team was throwing a party at our house. When athletes was like in my room, like listening to music and everything with a bunch of people in there, I was like, what? It was, it was the most awesome experience. I mean, the vibe at that moment uh, in the final four, there was nothing like it. Uh, you know, still not a fan of Joe Kim Noah to this day because of everything, but uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it was so profound. It was impactful. Uh, 
you know, it's uh, in, in that area, you know, I've, I've always grown up in the Northern Virginia area. And so, we, you know, we were talking about Georgetown and my, and my uh, you know, grad school and, and, you know, what I was doing there. That was all, uh, you know, the relation, you know, I'll kind of go into the story of Zoom if, if that's okay with you guys and just make yeah. it quick. Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, my entire existence has always been untraditional, right? My parents wanted me to go into medicine. That wasn't me. Tried a bunch of things. But the one thing that really stuck out to me was social media. And AOL at the time had come out with the product AIM. And I was obsessed about it because, uh, you know, a little bit of an introvert at the time and talking through the keyboard was a lot easier. And I met all my friends and I'd come up with these witty buddy lists and away messages anyways, you know, going through uh, undergrad, I, there was nothing really out there that really spoke to me as a student at the time. And what I obsessed about was the psychology, which was my undergrad of connecting with people, meeting the signal to the receiver. I argue social media is more psychology than it is technology. Mm -hmm. And this program at Georgetown, I was freelancing at the time, working from senators to anti, like pest control, what, anyone that would pay for social media, yeah. I would do it. And at Georgetown, there was an opportunity yeah. to like- Before you skip that, who were anybody successful, the, the names that you, you want to throw out there, you'd rather not? So. Yeah, rather not. But, it, but you know, at the time it was new, there was no rules. It was the wild west of social, it's still the wild west, right? But, uh, and, and Joe, the crazy thing is, is, uh, you know, there was a time I was at a bar, it was a Clyde's in Tyson's Corner, it's no longer there. And I was giving advice to my friends on social media to what to do for their businesses for wherever they were. One of the guys there was like, you got to come and meet Ali, who's you know, the CEO at Zoom from Metrostar at the time. At the time, it was Metrostar. He's like, we're looking for people in social media. So I was like, what do they work on? He's like, government. I was like, that's not my thing. That kind of sounds boring. He's like, they pay well. And I was like, all right, I'll come there next week. And so uh, where Zoom began was we were actually helping understand the impact of social media in Arab Spring and areas outside the country before, during, and after speeches. Nothing wow. to do with sports, right? Completely different. But they would keep asking us these questions on like, hey, how do we remove people that are not related to, to you know, politics and, and government and federal? And how do we find that influence? So we started building things. I mean, we did stuff like tweet walls behind President Obama, and we do fan engagement, fan experiences. And when we first uh, when Ali, our CEO, first heard about it, it was during a meeting with the State Department. They were like, hey, we love this product that you guys built. And he was like, what product? And so he came, had a meeting with us. He's like, what are you guys doing over here? And we showed him that the tools that we had at the time weren't able to allow us to do what we needed to get the job done. So we started building our own tools. You know, don't look behind the curtains, duct tape, smoke, you know, everything. And uh, he was like, guys, this is never going to work at the government at the time because this was, you know, it wasn't where it was today. And uh, he's like, you guys can work nights and weekends. We'll work with security. You guys can come into the building whenever you want. And if it becomes something, you guys can be co-founders. We'll launch it. I'll help you guys guide this ship out. And so we just obsessively worked just, you know, night and day over it. And we started, you know, working for free. We got our name out there. And then we got a chance with Monumental Sports to work with the Capitals at the time. Shout out to Mike Hutchinson. Uh, Joe DePriest, you know, Greg Roberts, you know, some of the older names at the organization, you know, we started working with them, we were doing fan experiences. So there would be a social media experience, you go in, go into ICE, you throw a hashtag or mention, be on the, you know, center screen, cool stuff. But we started doing this for everyone, Coca-Cola, everything, you know, and we started experimenting, getting analytics. If you were at the Orioles game and it was center field, we realized you don't have to say take a selfie. If you only approve selfies on these visuals, people start popping up like lemmings, right? And so we're like, how, how can we show that we're shifting the behavior of how people act in, in 
in, in React and the analytics behind this. And that kind of put us through a journey until around 2018 is when the Dallas Cowboys were like, we don't want to use you guys for marketing. We want to use you guys for partnerships. Wow. And we said, no. And they said, F you, we're the Cowboys. And we said, yes, you are. Let's do it. And, you know, that, that started with that instance. And, you know, we always listen to our customers. And that's what kind of guided us. But, you know, that, that we hit MSG. We started working with other organizations. And we found our niche. We didn't realize this going out. But we had perfectly built the system for it. But it took us pivoting and moving around, failing multiple times, right? Not like hard failure, but just like not getting massive success at the moment. But uh, these last couple of years have been fantastic for us. And, and you know, it's, it's, it was a very long answer. And I'll, and I'll shut up for, you know, but uh, that was, uh, I appreciate you guys letting me kind well, of hear that out. Yeah. Before you do that, talk a little bit about what the social, and you talked about the Arab Spring and some of the things that you saw that social engagement, I guess it was on Twitter at that point, right? Um, mm -hmm. but, but what were the tools that you used then to, to measure and track engagement and, and create engagement that were different then that they are now? And how has that evolved into the, the uh, sponsorship measurement side? Okay, that's a good question. Yeah, you're good at this, Joe. Uh, so basically, we, we created an algorithm. So at the time, there was a platform called Clout. If you remember back sure. in the day, it was yeah. a kind of popularity. That was you know, one hundred. of those things that was there. And then people said, this doesn't work. And it disappeared. Exactly. Yeah. And so for us, that's where it started for us. We were like, this doesn't work for us because, yeah. and believe it or not, uh, Justin Bieber mentioned the words that we were searching for. And he was number one on the report that we were going to hand into Steber. One, it's Bieber. Two, he's Canadian. And so that we were like, we got to, we got to, we got to work on this. And so that first night, we manually removed people that did not contextually make sense to the conversation. And then that put us on this uh, journey where we created this uh, algorithm called Z points. It's basically like a weighted score. And what we did was we weighed follower count low. We weighed number of times people posted low, but we weighted engagement very high. So if people are retweeting it, people are commenting mm -hmm. on it. And we looked at how do we let the voice of the people boost uh, the type of content we should be seeing. We did it on a post by post basis. So, and, I, and you guys are gonna roll your eyes. I mean, you remember Fire Festival or was it Fire oh, Island, sure. right? Those major the best documentaries ever. Yeah, take them to the pigs, Ja Rule said. But basically- well, that's, uh, that's two documentaries. <laughs> and we, we got double, uh, the, double the fun exactly exactly and, and you know we we looked at that situation those were you know your typical influencers that make something go viral well there was a guy that had less than 100 followers that took a picture of his lunch tray that took the whole thing down right yeah. he was not your typical influencer and that's why we did a post by post basis because we wanted to look at something that might have come from a no not not that he's a nobody but a nobody in terms of influencer uh, mindset and say, even his content, if it's the perfect formula, if it's the perfect recipe at the right time, how can we kind of track that? But I mean, that, that, you know, Joe, it's, it's constantly kind of being able to solve and answer what, you know, our clients were asking us and what was challenges for us to really surface that insight to show that impact that people are making. Cool. Hey, Amir, I have a question. As, as each new platform, because you've been around how many, six years, you said? or so yep. seven years yep. yeah so you've uh well, let's take tiktok as the um the darling of social media right now as the as an example so they were 
musically, at least in the U.S. was musically, and then it turned into TikTok, and then it just started to uh, catch on fire. Uh, and sure. it's been, the, you know, arguably the hottest thing of the last year on social media. So when a new platform becomes that important, do you guys do a kind of bottom bottoms up review of the platform and the nature of the interactions, the, kind of the whole dynamic around its usage to determine what you're going to do vis-a-vis -vis the Zoom measurement approaches? Yeah, Tom, I mean, so a couple of things uh, to address that because, you know, some philosophies that we have that not, not all engagement is created equal, not all impressions are created equal and different platforms are different aspects of people's personas. Like, mm -hmm. you know, LinkedIn Joe is different than TikTok Joe, right? So like, right. and, and uh, but we, we look at that as an expression in different demographics that go and engage with it. But the number one thing, and I, at, before I even go there, I mean like amazing job by their algorithm and they're, they're collecting a lot of data, right? To be able to, you know, marketed to you in perfection. And what I love about TikTok is the FYP, the For You page, that is broadcasting uh, for the next you know, generation. That is mobile television served to you. You don't have to follow anyone. Every all these other platforms, you have to do an action to start pulling in that newsfeed of people. Mm -hmm. They're saying, no, no, here you go. Here's someone that you should look at. And by the way, this is uh, because of how you're interacting with what you're looking at. I'm going to show you more of this because you're passing on this other content, I'm going to show you less of this. It's just so well, arc, arc, uh, you know, and the one thing that they did not perfect, uh, you know, with science and everything that they did to that algorithm, they didn't perfect the politics behind, you know, getting platforms like this out there. And it went too late, right? The CEO mayor just resigned. And it's interesting yeah. to see what this is. It's the first foreign based uh, social platform that's going viral per se, if you will. Uh, I, it's addicting. I mean, I, I, I'm on it. I mean, the, the amount of time and it's Vine. It's Vine if Twitter had treated Vine right, right? Like it could have been that, but mm -hmm. they, but they mm -hmm. didn't. And so yeah. I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. I, you know, I'd love to, and, and here's the number one thing that no one thinks about. All of this stuff is based on the APIs and the developer ecosystem around these different platforms. Twitter famously dropped the ball with their developers uh, with Dick Costello and then you know we, we have Jack come back and he brought that relationship and now they're thriving again it's the developers that really that ecosystem that help take that technology from these platforms and provide mm -hmm. actionable insights and actionable ways of processing this data to drive business decisions what TikTok doesn't have is an API that's out there now you can share TikTok from other platforms you can now they're going to start advertising they just had an advanced analytics for uh, business accounts but they don't have an analytics platform that's out you can download the Excel and some companies are like taking the CSV and uploading in but that's not a real API doesn't update you have to do that systematically so th that's the one caveat that we won't touch a platform if it doesn't have an API and that's because in this business you can't afford to have stale data you know it's just data that starts to become stale starts ruining the types of decisions that you're making and with TikTok I mean I love it as a fan personally I just and I was hoping it would get to a point where there was an API there's politics involved there's data privacy and security involved and so we're watching we're waiting and we're you know very anxious to see what happens with it um, you're seeing that they just integrated with Alexa. That might be a clue to 
who might who just entered the dance right with Bezos. So mm-hmm. and we and it, today and I know we want to, we don't want to get but like Walmart's even throwing their hat in the ring. So there's a lot of yeah, people that are that. interested, but there's a lot of data in there that's very fascinating and interesting. Mm-hmm. Amir, just do do you do us the, the audience a favor. Uh, we've we've used the term and we've heard the term API mentioned a few times in this podcast, but just a quick definition for the listeners as to what that really means um, in in what you're describing. Yeah, hundred percent, Tom. So basically, an API is a set of rules that the platform provides developers to use their data with, and so you can. Uh, get their data and, and integrate it into your system, but you've got to play by the rules in order to process that data and pull. In this case, out. like Zoom, you use the word developer, but in this case, it's Zoom for measurement. Business. Yeah, for us, you yeah, need that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So we're right. we've got APIs with uh, all the major platforms. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. partnerships. Some of the APIs are private. Some of them are public. Anyone can access them. Some of them right. we're paying for, right? Twitter, their data right. licensing is, is probably, you know, is, is doing better than their ads. Uh, and so like, maybe not, I don't know, but like, but the, you know, they're, they're, they're licensing this data. And, and if, if you're familiar with it, historic Twitter data is very expensive to acquire as well. So they're, mm-hmm. you know, these, they're making businesses and revenue from the data that's coming out of their platforms. And as we saw with Cambridge Analytica, it's incredibly impactful with what you can do with the amount of data these platforms have. Mm-hmm. Wow, and yeah, that's that's actually really helpful to hear that. Um, and I, I guess you know, to, I actually you you stopped me for a second when you mentioned that you you were thinking that Twitter might have uh, as much or more revenue uh, you know, with with the, with the data sale as with the advertising. Um, I suppose it could get to that point as this becomes more and more important to all the constituents you serve, such as in sports, teams, leagues, brands that support sports agencies, et cetera. You get enough customers, that's some big data consumption ongoing, you know, kind of a recurring thing, never ends. So that could be a really big revenue driver for these companies. I I haven't really thought about that because I think most of us, default to thinking, oh, they're just using our, uh, our data to make the advertising hyper-targeted, which makes it more valuable in the market. And that's obviously made Google a trillion dollar company. Um, so, so, that's, so do you want to say anything more about that? Or is that just something that you think will continue to grow? Yeah, I mean, so so here's the thing. I'm looking at where we are right now, and, and pandemic is heightened, right? And it, it it catalyzed trends. It just made things happen faster. But I'm seeing sports teams and their digital teams act more like in-house agencies uh, on behalf of the brands that come and partner with them. They specialize in understanding how to best engage their fan base. And ads don't work the way they used to, right? The best way an ad works is you don't exactly know it's an ad, where it's a weaved into the narrative. It's a it's an effort that is, uh, you know, you saw what the last dance did, you know, Hershey's and Facebook, and the ads that they had were compelling enough that they were part of the story. They were, and I'm looking at this as, uh, you know, another thing is sports teams need to stop acting like event companies and more like media companies. I don't mm-hmm. look at sports as the product i look at sports as the platform and the product is the branded experience that they create for their different audiences now the data from social media that that we're getting provided exactly like you said hyper targeted we want to understand because look 
audiences and fan bases are not homogeneous. There are different reasons why you and I watch these games and it might be because I want to go with my family. I want to go and uh, it, maybe it's an HR experience. I want to take people out from work or maybe, you know, right now it's different with the pandemic, but we're all connecting for different reasons. Uh, the teams, you know, some people have stronger relationships to their teams than they do with their own religion, right? And it's that powerful, the relationship that they have. And so, you know, what we try to best understand is why are those reasons that those fans are engaging and interacting? We anonymize and we aggregate it, but we look at the different behaviors that we're seeing and we group and segment them so that we understand. Because, you know, markets are competitive. You know, you look at New York and LA within sports, how can one fan base show that there's more quality within this one audience segment that matches the target audience of a brand? And so that's how we're kind of looking at this in a different way, where these are platforms that we can use uh, to better uh, engage and interact with these fan bases. And there's no better relationship than with the team's arm around a brand saying, this is our official partner. Here's some exclusive access that you're going to get on be because of this brand that is facilitating this experience. And so all that data is just helping us realize all of this needs to be fan-driven. And we look at fan-driven partnerships as the aspect of how partnership deals should be made. There's pre-existing relationships we don't need to shove a logo and slap a logo on. Why don't we look at our audience and see where that existence of relationships already are, bring that in, pour jet fuel on it, make it something much bigger than it already is and, and run it by the fans. Cause that's the oxygen, this entire industry breathes and it's completely sacred. We have to do all, everything by a fan first experience. All right. So Amir, it sounds like things have been really well the last few years. And, and this year I know in particular, Esports has been a real growth area. Talk about that. What is exactly going on from your perspective in the world of esports and measurement? Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, they, they, you know, esports and sports have a lot in common, and they have a lot that are not in common, of course. And they're both, they're both, you know, there's both, both can learn a lot from each other. Uh, one thing I'm learning right now is like the the first party data kind of world and understanding. Uh, you know, collecting information and personalizing the experiences. You know, Team Liquid just came out with the Liquid Plus program, and you're seeing that they're kind of moving in that direction. But that historically hasn't happened in esports. But uh, can you explain that? What is what? What does that mean? What is the Liquid Plus program? Sure. So they they're basically wanting to understand uh, their fans and how they engage with them better. And when they buy merch and they interact with them and they share their content, they should know who their super fans are. And so they're creating this uh, opt-in program where you can sign up and be sort of a, a Liquid Plus member. And what that does is that all your interactions with the team are now recorded in a way so that those top engaged fans are receiving more experiences, more personalization uh, around their fan experience. So this is new. There, there's nothing been like this. And, you know, sports teams in, in, in have had, uh, you know, ways of, of kind of doing this, but this is a new approach. And that's like an impact of, I think, traditional sports to esports. Um, but it, it's a different world. Like, you know, in esports, they typically they celebrate when a, when a partner comes in. And, uh, you know, one thing that we've been helping them sort of understand is what is the value, uh, you know, of that? Uh, if you're watching like 100 Thieves and there's a Warzone uh, weekend tournament with Chipotle and Cash App, they've got logos kind of spin. They want to know the value of that. They're, it's a little bit different with how their players and live streamers uh, relationship works. It's more like NCAA. So they can, uh, they can get members of their team 
in part of the activations that they do right now, you know, you do a deal with the Browns, you're not really doing a deal with the Browns and they can say, well, Odell Beckham's going to do these things for you in that kind of way. And this, so they, they have that ability to do that and we're able to have them authenticate and understand the impact that every streamer sort of makes on behalf of the team as well. And, and it's uh, it's a different type of media play, but it's, it's uh, fantastic to kind of see. And there's this surge of non-endemic partners that are entering into esports, especially at, you know with the pandemic. But League of Legends, the 2019 uh, World Championship that they had, uh, Louis Vuitton was was coming, and no one would have realized that there was a mm-hmm. high luxury clothing brand, you know, that had an affinity with esports until they did that. And they're following the model of what they did with FIFA and the trophy case. But you know, it's it's a it's a very different world, and it's very fascinating and interesting. And what we're doing is we're we're basically providing that partnership ROI information across all of their different digital experiences, and then. Uh, understanding that value and in real time providing uh, dollar signs to that exposure media value that they're providing. And then more importantly, it's, it goes back to that audience side, who's interacting, how are they interacting? What kind of engagement, what are the other types of brands they have relationships with and how do we monitor that sort of success that they're having? Great. And Amir on, on that front, what are the top platforms that you're seeing for, for the clients that you have in esports? Uh, Twitch, YouTube gaming, et cetera. C- could you just run down that list? Yeah. So, uh, you know, RIP Mixer, Microsoft is out of the race and we're seeing a surge mm-hmm. now go to Facebook gaming, but really the main player is Twitch and YouTube. Uh, now they're all on discord where they're creating communities and engaging. And we're going right. to see a lot more activity around discord data very soon. I'm very sure of it. Twitter is where a lot of them are just like in re- real time in sports, interacting, engaging, commenting on it. Uh, you're seeing very little, but not a lot on Instagram and Facebook is they don't even, you know, look at Facebook. It's not a platform in their eyes. And there's a lot of other could- platforms that are out there that are video platforms that are, uh, you know, uh, different networks, um, but, um, yeah, I'm sorry, you had a question. Yeah. So like, are you able to access first party environments like Epic games, Fortnite, for example, which is really important in that world? Yeah. So we're not working with the developers yet. The developers definitely hold the most power within the ecosystem. And what fascinates me where I want to be is understand what is the value of Travis Knight, uh, doing a concert or Marshmallow right. doing a concert in Fortnite, and what is that AR play that might happen as a result of it? Uh, and it's funny, you know, that you know we're we're going through those battles with Apple and Epic Games, but uh, now the social media networks are looking at Epic as a competitor uh, because a lot of people are spending their free time. Me myself mm-hmm. personally, I'm catching up with my friends on Call of Duty over the weekend, and we're just playing games mm-hmm. and talking. We were even talking about doing that for meetings internal meetings, you know, just playing Call of Duty and just catching up on stuff. And it's this new digital hangout that we're kind of existing on. It's kind of like Slack, but you're playing a game at the same time. And it's just such a fast paced moving world. Um, But it's interesting. And, you know, there's all different ways of looking at the value of exposure from a live stream in comparison to a, a video on demand. Um, but it's, it's, it's very fascinating in the subscriber network and, and there's a lot of layers that come along with it and we're just in the very beginning phases. But quick follow-up, you talked about the importance of APIs for the social platforms. I assume there's the same kind of situation with the esports platforms. And if so, if that's true, uh, does Fortnite have an API? 
Yeah, so uh, Fortnite, uh, they don't have an API to my knowledge for us to process the information in that capacity. And, you know, a lot of times uh, you look at like how LinkedIn did their strategy with uh, not giving out a lot of their data. You could publish to LinkedIn, but you don't want to give it out. That, val that data is extremely valuable and they're using it in ways to better engage their audience. You know, there's, there's this argument in the esports world that um, developers like Epic Games or uh, Blizzard uh, and Activision look at esports as a marketing play for them. And so it's tough for the teams to really generate a lot of value and grow. Uh, and so we're now seeing this trend of communities that are being built around esports. Um, so while there might not be an API around the, that direct platform, but they do provide versions of the games that could be used in tournament like styles. Uh, you know, for Call of Duty, you can use the same like game types of what the you know tournament people are using. And so with that, uh, there's APIs on Twitch, there's APIs on YouTube, there's APIs and bots on Discord that are being used to provide help and information around it. But it's, um, it is certainly fascinating. And, and right now, you know, a lot of the people in esports are arguing that that is where 18 to 34 year olds are primarily on, on the male side are, are interacting and engaging with more than any other sport that's out there and growing increasingly. Uh, and, and, you know, this new generation, I'm not going to be surprised if we're going to bars and there's going to be video games playing, you know, people competitively playing sports as opposed to us going and seeing baseball that we're typically kind of used to or basketball on the screen. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely different, um, but it's, and it, what's awesome about it is anyone can kind of, but the way these guys train is just like an athlete too. And they, they, the, their age of when they come in and come out is a much lower age. So you're seeing a lot of them come back as analysts or, or hosts on shows and stuff like that, or the tournaments, um, or, or even creating these communities and ecosystems where they're producing these. But uh, I, I'm, I'm very excited to see these kind of communities come out where people, there's Vindex that are putting these production shows around these shows. There's Venn, mm -hmm. V-E-N-N. -N. Mm -hmm. And so this is yeah, just... No yeah. And this is like Fox sports. This is like the RSN, right? This is, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, um, comparisons that you can look at from, from sports and media and broadcasting that are now happening with esports, but it's just being done at such a high speed level. Yeah, Tom and I are, can think back to the days of pinball in bars. Now people are walking and just play world of Warcraft on their phone against everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I mean, we want to seg uh, segue from, your business to the board position that you have with WIST. Um, we, as Tom mentioned at the beginning of the show, we haven't never really talked about women in sports and technology. Um, we certainly would love to have somebody on to talk a little bit more about it, but can you open the door for us? Tell us about WIST, how you got involved, what exactly it's doing uh, and what the vision is overall. Yeah, absolutely. No. Um, uh, so basically we we had a terrible ratio at Zimf, right? And uh, it's sports tech, and it's uh, you know typically there's not a lot in sports, there's not a lot in tech, and it's even harder in sports tech to find female applicants. And I got tired of excuses that we weren't getting enough applicants, so I reached out to uh, I heard about Wist through a podcast on the Core podcast with. Russell Scabretti when he was hosting it. Now he's sure. at the New York Giants. And Netta Tabi, uh, she did an interview there. She's on this, uh, you know, San Jose Sharks. And she yeah, mentioned they it. Together, they worked together at CORE. That's where they first met. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's just one. Okay. So I, I heard her and I loved her philosophy and her data driven approach. And, and I was like, okay, what is WIST? I've never heard of this. And so I reached out uh, an amazing lady, Gretchen Reeves, and started interacting with me and, and they put our jobs up on their, uh, you know, on their uh, job serve and, and, and on their listserv. And, you know, other people can do that too. So you can get female applicants. A lot of great companies are involved, MBA, uh, WMBA, uh, Nike's heavily involved with, uh, with the WIS program. And there's more and more organizations coming through. But I just got so impressed with this group of people and what they're building and what they're achieving. And uh, I started, you know, assisting them with social media advice and ways of how to amplify it. Uh, became a board advisor through some of the interactions that we've been doing. The founder, uh, Mary Lou McFarland, just amazing person, understands the sports tech industry and ecosystem. I've gotten a lot of advice from all of them on, on our own organization. And uh, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, uh, you want as much diversity as possible. So the best ideas are being surfaced and there's room at the table for everyone. And so, uh, the, you know, this group is, uh, you know, what they're doing is they're highlighting and helping women find roles in leadership positions and they've got a fellowship program as well. So we were able to bring two fellows onto, uh, you know, intern with us over the summer at the beginning of the pandemic. It's crazy because it was interns for the first time that wouldn't be in, in, in person with us and in Zoom, uh, you know, Sydney Dotson and Mir Xiao. And, and they're, they're fantastic. They're phenomenal. And they, they, one came from GW, one came from University of San Francisco. And, and there's all different types of tech that's involved, whether it's sport tech with uh, the sports analytics, with uh, performance with the athletes and their bodies, whether it's, uh, you know, what we're doing with sponsorships or, you know, whether it's a uh, you know, an organization like Nike or the NBA, right? Um, so there, there's tons of uh, amazing women that are being, that are involved with this program. And the, the community is growing every day and more organizations are coming together. So, um, you know, people are investing into becoming members of WIST or, or organizations that are becoming sponsors of it. And they're assisting with, uh, you know, finding talent that's out there and students that are coming in uh, incredibly sharp people that are looking for positions within sports tech. And I've just, you know, I'm, I'm so fortunate uh, to, to work with them. They've been inspiring to me and helped us with our ratio and helped us with how we think and helped us, um, you know, position ourselves to be uh, more uh, applicable to women that are coming out of these amazing programs uh, to want to apply to a company like ours. So before we, we leave talking about WIST and get to some of our questions before we let you go, um, is, it, is it kind of a, a repository for organizations to come together who have women interested in sports tech because there's girls in drone racing, there's, uh, you know, she is, does stuff with girls who are interested in STEM. And is it, it sounds like it's a little bit more senior people? Are there opportunities for young women and young girls to get involved as well? And then how much of that ties over when you think about tech? But is it, you know, if you have young women who aspire to be the general manager of the Washington Nationals, is it, you know, on kind of the money ball side as well? Does it encompass everything? That would be the question. Yeah, no, that, that, that's great. So um, it, it's basically women in the front office that interact with technology and there's men involved as well. And um, we definitely need as many male allies uh, within the program and, and helping pro, uh, proponent and bring awareness to it. Uh, so basically it's, it's uh, women of, of leadership roles. They're, they're doing leadership interviews 
you need to see it to believe you can become it. And so there's a lot of executive women that are, are coming and sharing their stories of how they got to where they are. There's webinars, I believe, every other Friday that are going on right now where um, you know, women from Twitch and women in gaming are getting involved from the sports teams themselves uh, on the high executive level uh, of, of organizations. And so it's all different ranges. Uh, Netta understands the impact where she's going into high schools and, and speaking and, and knows, knows that's when the biggest impact can be made because a lot of women don't think that there is an opportunity for them in sports. And you're seeing these comments with like the distraction, right? And so a lot of women are now tweeting, right? Like, you know, we're not a distraction in sports teams. And that's absolutely the case. And, and so this is, uh, you know, it's, it's centered around tech, but there's marketing tech, there's, uh, there's business research and AI, there's sponsorship tech. So as long as technology is, is a component of it, that's where, that's the one unifier. But there's women from HR related that are helping people that are finding opportunities as well. It's a community, and, and so it's just not one specific thing, but uh, the mission is, you know, men and women helping changing the ratio at these organizations, and so it's just, uh, and there's a lot of mentorship capabilities for younger women to come in, so the fellowship program is amazing. Uh, there's, if you go to their website, which is womeninsportstech.org, there's a fellowships page, and uh, people are submitting themselves to be students. And there's a number of companies that are being hosts. And what WIST will do is they'll help facilitate and pay for that experience for these interns and fellows to go work at these organizations and get really great uh, working experience and grow their network. Great. Wow. Um, good, good for you for doing that. Uh, really, really good cause. Um, glad you're involved. Joe and I actually got to meet Mary Lou Amira Beck, uh, pre-lockdown, our last social event of, of, of perhaps 2021 was when Joe and I were at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Oh, wow. Our, yeah. The meetup group we're involved with, NYBC Sports, hosted a party on Friday night, and I had invited my old friend, Elise Soul. I don't know if you met Elise. I know she's friends with Mary Lou. She used to be at the NHL, a longtime sports business executive. So she was there and she said, do you mind if I bring my friend? And it was Mary Lou. I never met Mary Lou and I didn't frankly know anything about WIST. Uh, and I learned uh, about it that night for the first time. So that was awesome. Yeah, that's, that's so cool to hear. And, it, and I'm, I'm relatively new. This all happened in February and, and I've just been. Oh, nice. And just, yeah, that's actually when our thing was. That's when yeah, our party was. They, was they, they invited me, but I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't at Sloan, but like, I, I, you know, I wish I was because I would have met you guys there too. But um, it, it's a phenomenal group. And, and, the, and the Nina Luker, who is the other co-founder, is she just, uh, she's in remission now from cancer and she just beat it. And she's got an amazing experience on TikTok, but just such an impactful group. Jessica, David, Sydney, uh, Lydia, like, I mean, from all different types of organizations, I've just been really wowed. So I'm trying to bring my knowledge of marketing and social media and help bring more awareness to what they are doing. Um, but it's, it's amazing to see the change just from when I joined right. and how many people are kind of, you know, rallying to this cry. Amir, if Joe and I know of companies that are recruiting, would, would they take uh, job postings for their site? That I, I'm, I yeah. wasn't quite clear how they're doing the job posting thing. Yeah, so during the pandemic right now, they're uh, providing an opportunity for people to post their jobs for free. In the past, what they've done was, I think there was like a nominal charge and that, and that mm -hmm. money would go towards 
one of the fellowships to help another student get an opportunity. Um, but okay. uh, it's a very curated list of uh, of individuals of young, you know, of all different ages of women that are in sports tech. So that'll be seeing these, and so it'll help change the ratio with uh, ensuring that you're yeah, yeah. quality women. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you. That that's terrific. Um, and we'll um, include in the show notes the uh, the information on list. Um, womeninsportstech.org is the website and on social it's what at i know i've, I've seen the account but i just refresh my memory what's the twitter account yeah i believe it's uh the twitter and instagram are a little bit different but it's women in in uh women's sports tech so one s okay. uh between women okay. and sports but uh and then the twitter is women in sports tech okay good thank you um okay. So, Joe, are we ready to move on to the uh, to the big questions? Yeah. Wrap-up questions. Yeah. Our last. All right. Go ahead. You go, Tom. Yeah. We gave you fair warning, Amir, so hopefully you have a really good answer for, for both these. Uh, but first, let's start with uh, knowledge curation. How do you stay smart? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Who are you following? What's up? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. I'm always uh, – Twitter is my number one go-to in LinkedIn, and I – create my list. I've got a uh, sports biz uh, Twitter list that you can look at. You guys are definitely on there, right? And I've curated some of the best people in the business. I'm always paying attention to the top content that's coming out. I like to read SBJ, um, you know, front office sports, hashtag sports, sports pro, sports geek, the podcast and the newsletter. I'm all about the newsletters and uh, the podcast right now and just listening in. And of course, this podcast. Oh, cool. Thank you. That's nice. <laughs> uh, Joe, you want to finish it off? Yeah. So um, you're obviously advising a lot of advisory boards. You're on a lot of advisory boards. Uh, you have a lot of young people around them. We have a lot of people, young people who listen, but also a lot of people in career transitions. You've had your ups and your downs. You've worked on a business, grown a business, pivoted the business. The question that always comes up is, what's the advice that you give to people who are either new to the business or transitioning into other businesses to help them kind of go to a next step? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fantastic question. I think, you know, a lot of people have heard this, but it's disassociating the negativity with failure and looking at failure as uh, progress and towards the goal that you're getting to. Um, you know, there's books like Angela Duckworth and grit and uh, grittiness is one of the most impactful features that you can have or characteristics. And that's something that you can grow and hone and, and build. But I, you know, I, I constantly look at one always learning if, uh, you know, I've got a quote that everyone rolls their eyes at, but comfort is the enemy of greatness. And if you're ever comfortable, you're moving backwards. And in startup world, if you're neutral, you're moving backwards, right? So you've always have to aggressively move forward. So it's just by constantly learning, staying, you know, the question that right before this, always staying on top of your game, always learning what's new. The questions you guys are asking, I mean, like you guys are on the cutting edge and knowing what's impacting everything that's you know, happening in sports today. Everyone's got to be on that mind state and, and see what that next thing is coming around the corner so that they're ready for it. And even if they do fail, you know, figure out how do you position what you've done and built to, to get to that point to reposition and attempt again. So it, it's funny, Amir, even though you mentioned the Bulls when we started this, um, we're taping this towards the end of August and we just finished Mamba Week. So you sound a lot like a lot of the things that Kobe Bryant, you know, espoused throughout his career about never giving up, striving. Um, and, and it's funny, I actually have here on my floor the Mamba mentality 
which my friend Andy Bernstein took all the pictures for. And, and last week wow. was 824, which was Kobe Bryant day. Um, and it, you know, it, it's interesting how that even in the world we're in right now, his kind of philosophy and the way he played and the way he lived resonates now more in a pandemic and in a bubble than it did probably when he passed away earlier this year, or certainly, you know, as, as things were kind of playing out at the end of his career. So, you know, a little bit of Mamba thrown in, in addition to uh, the last dance for you. I, I love his tenacity and relentlessness and uh, you couldn't have brought up a better example of grit personified. Yeah. Kobe, um, when I was at the Sixers, as before we let you go, uh, you know, I have vivid memories of Kobe literally sitting at my desk when he was 15 years old because uh, he was around the team the whole time when our offices were in the basement of the vet. So, um, you know, it was nice to be at that point. And his original strength coach, Joe Carbone, became a really good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, to, to now get to Mamba, we can hear you echo those thoughts without even thinking about it. It's, you know, it's pretty important. And by the way, for anybody who hasn't, you know, either picked up out of the library or checked out Mamba Mentality, you know, it's, it's certainly worth it. Short bursts for, of information. But, you know, I, I, you hope that people don't forget now, you know, kind of what Kobe built way beyond, you know, basketball for, you know, a mentality and how you kind of succeed in life. And I think a lot of people are going to need that stuff going forward now as we kind of go into a fall, which is going to have tremendous transition and upheaval in our business. Well said, well said. It's, yeah, I'll just, I'll just respond quickly, Joe, to that. I'm glad you brought it up as, a, as an add-on to Amir's comments. Um, it's starting to feel to me like, in a, in a funny way, despite Michael's greatness and LeBron's greatness, like Kobe's package, like the, the overall impact, actually may be his biggest, like the biggest legacy left by an NBA player of, of the 21st century. Am I, is, am I overstating that? It just feels like... No, his, I, I think, it, you know, and you it's know, interesting... Um, there's a great Howard Beck at Bleach Report just did. Uh, he has a podcast called The Full 48. And one of the last ones he did uh, was with um, uh, Brendan. I'm going to screw up his first name. It's, I think it's Brendan Gassaway, who's now the chairman of the DNC, uh, the, the head of PR for the DNC, Democratic National Committee. Uh, and he is uh, was a, a Kobe devotee and talked a lot about how he was able to apply a lot of the things growing up that Kobe did. But the biggest thing that Kobe did that LeBron has not done with the Lakers is Kobe had the rings. And, you know, as, as a diehard Lakers fan, he turned around and said, you know, until um, he gets, LeBron gets the rings, he doesn't belong in the rafters because that's the, the level that has been set with the Lakers as opposed to other franchises where, you know, you're, you're really good and you get a, a ring. It's like, Really, I think the Lakers, the Yankers, Yankees, and the Cowboys are probably the three, where unless you win a title, um, you know you're 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 considered good but not great or immortal. Um, and, and I'll give yeah. you one last example um, of kind of that mentality, and it's actually UCLA. Um, you know, I don't know if everybody knows, but UCLA only hangs banners for teams that win championships. And um, when I was at the Knicks, and Larry Brown was the coach. Uh, we went to practice at Pauley Pavilion one day and he obviously, he didn't follow, um, you know, he was, uh, I think three coaches removed, but Coach Wooden was still alive and was in the office. Um, 
And uh, they were meeting one day and Coach Wooden came down to the floor and he pointed up at the ceiling in front of all the writers and he said, you know, Coach Brown, you know, maybe you'll be able to get up there someday like I am. And he just kind of walked away and Larry Brown turned. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's the mentality that he had. And, you know, and only one other coach has, has ever been able to do it there. So, um, but that's, you know, two dynamic basketball franchises, if you can call UCLA a franchise, which you can, um, you know, in the same city with kind of the same mentality. And I'm sure, you know, John Wooden and Kobe Bryant, you know, for their careers and what they did after their careers, um, even though Kobe's was way too short, are, are very similar. So, if uh, wow. if you're going to compare yourself to anyone, compare yourself to a giant. Yeah, good point. So, right. not Michael Stray. On that note, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amir, thank you so much, everybody. We've been listening uh, to Amir Zanozi from, who's the co-founder and president of Zoom. Uh, and also a board member of Women in Sports Tech. And it's been a really enjoyable and informative conversation. So on behalf of Columbia and Joe, Amir, thank you so much for spending time with us. Greatly appreciated. Thank you. The pleasure's mine, guys. Hey, uh, before we let you and, go, where do people follow you? And where do, where yeah, do they... where, do, where, do, where does everybody find you? Because they probably should fi find you on, uh, on, on the internet. Yeah, so I'm I'm Zenozi everywhere, Z O N O Z I on all the social networks, and then Zoomph is Z O O M P H, and then Women in oh, Sports Tech enough. is at Women in Sports Tech. So all pretty easy, but uh, looking forward to gauging if I can help in any way. Don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, well, when we finally get back to uh, on-campus activities, open invitation to you to visit our classes, our program. It'd be great to have you. Um, it's a really relevant and really important topic and quite relevant to most of the classes uh, at, the, at the program right now. So someday, maybe 2022, 2023. I was just going to say that. Yeah, take a <laughs> rain check for Columbia oh, yeah. Sports Business Conference in October of 2022. <laughs> yeah, hey, let, I'll be there. I'm patient enough. Just follow Joe the next few weeks to make sure we can get through 2021 because he's going to be going to the campus. Uh, unlike the rest of us. Awesome. <laughs> All right, awesome. Joe, you want to wrap? Yeah, once again, um, this has been the Cusp Show uh, for our guest, Amir Zanozzi. I'm Joe Favorito, our producer, Tom Cerny, and Tom Richardson. And by the way, we want to mention before we go, for anybody who noticed the audio change a little bit, in the middle of this, and we did not stop, Tom Richardson lost power in Connecticut and was able to dial back in after we were texting back and forth. So once talk again, about the mamba, menta mamba mentality. I had to le lose my Wi-Fi and use my AT&T signal, but it actually worked this time. Yeah. So whatever, you, whatever it takes, Joe. Yep. Anyway, for on a stormy day in Connecticut for Tom, once again, I'm Joe Favorito for Tom Richardson. This is The Cusp Show, and we'll see you down the road. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.